It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is an adoptee who is a published author of her memoir, Identity Reclaimed, Echoes of an Adoptee. Her pen name is Julie Weatherby. Like many children adopted in the post-war era in which she grew up, Julie has carried the burden of relinquishment and family secrets right through her life. When a powerful call to arms commands her to finally take action, she is faced with a life-changing challenge. Can Julie put off what she always intended to do? Investigate her roots? Will set in motion, she embarks on a journey that radically alters not only her present life, but the way she has viewed the past. Julie's memoir recounts events chronologically for the most part, assisted at times by cameo scenes of childhood, as well as imagined events based on factual evidence and documented World War II horrors. Haunted by unsettling disclosures and destructive barriers, Julie soldiers on even when all seems irretrievable. In her quest to pacify a raging inner child, she explores a collision of identities until at last she finds both peace and strength through healing self-empowerment. Allow me to introduce you to someone who I felt upon our first interaction a few years ago, though we were thousands of miles apart, would be intentional to stay in touch through social media and technology. We've done just that and created this time, 10 a.m. in the U.S. and 4 p.m. in the U.K., to share this conversation with you. Julie, it's such a pleasure to have you on today, and I am just thinking about how we met, and it was when we were in the adoption circle, that that community (laughs) that we really appreciate as adoptees, you had written a memoir. I got it back out because it's been a few years now. And I just have to say that I love your writing style and I love the flow of the story. So wherever you want to start and however much you want to share about your journey. Okay. Well, first of all, Jennifer, thank you very much for inviting me to be on this podcast. I, I feel honored to be here. I was very much reflecting upon the title of your website and these podcasts, which is Once Upon a Time, which I thought was such a wonderful title, particularly because to me it sounds like a fairy story, you know, Once Upon a Time. Uh, I was reflecting on this because, in a way, it's not a fairy story. And yet, in my experience, 
it did feel a bit like one because not all fairy stories are happy ones or they can be bittersweet. I feel that sums up very much, you know, what's happened to me, my own experience. As you'll know from reading my memoir, I didn't look into my past until I was 60 years of age. I'm now 70. I may very well be one of your oldest people. I have no idea on this podcast, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Age doesn't really matter, does it? You know, I got to 60 and I woke up one morning with a, a voice in my head. It was a very insistent voice saying, you must start your search now. I explain this in my book, you know, I jumped out of bed and I thought, right, I need to get on with this. And, you know, we'd entered or I had entered the era of using the Internet a little bit more. How shall I say? Well, feeling secure using it is the, is the word, you know. And so I just Googled, you know, searching for birth parents. And it seemed absolutely crazy to me. And I was amazed at how quickly I got linked up to a place where I could begin this search. And, you know, that's where the so-called fairy story really began because the story I had been spun as a child, as an adoptee at uh, six years of age was somewhat different to the reality. And I dare say that is the experience of a number of adoptees, I I don't know. Mine was very much tied up with the time I was born. You know, I was a a post-Second World War baby. In those days, society frowned hugely upon unmarried parents and children were given up for adoption because they would have been just shunned by society. You know, I'd lived quite a long life having absolutely no idea of my background. I guess one of the reasons was that I had no idea where to start. I did... Uh, over the course of some time, think about getting in touch with an organisation that might be able to point me in the right direction over here. But uh, I tried several calls. No one answered the phone. And I thought, well, it's just not meant to be. And it was a useful excuse. Let's just get on with life. And I guess also I was so busy with my life. But I think also some of this was tied up with the fact that I sensed I'd been lied to. And even though my adoptive parents maybe had been told to tell me certain things to protect me, protect themselves, I was essentially told that my mother had died. Mm. And I, from there, I constructed a little story of, you know, perhaps she died in childbirth and perhaps my parents were married and maybe my father was so sad at losing his wife. He, he felt he had to just give up this child, you know, all that stuff. And I guess I... I don't know, concocted a sort of fairy story of my own. In a way also, I never wanted to visit it too much. It was always just there somewhere distantly in my background while I got on with my life. But, you know, as soon as I started my search and pulled up all the stuff that I did, I discovered a completely different fairy story, which shocked me. You know, when when my adoption file was eventually released when I was allowed mm. access to my file which was not easy I was shocked at what I read you know I had to suddenly become this different person living another life right. a, a sort of life that had gone parallel to the the life that I had already experienced 
So I guess that's where the fairy story, Once Upon a Time, is so very appropriate. Mm, Thank you. Well, certainly in my case. It's interesting that you're having me to reflect on how I came up with the title and and why. I think I, I once heard someone say that when you want to tell a story, you go back to a period in your in your past, like as a child. And, and it just seems fitting that when I used to hear that as a child, once upon a time, I would get excited about what the story was going to be about. And yes. I wanted to create excitement for adoptees and those non-adopted people about sitting down and listening to a time long ago, you know, or a yes. time in the past. Like, listen intently. This is going to be important. That's what I remember feeling when I would hear that. It almost didn't really matter what story in particular, like what it was going to be about, but I just knew it was important. It was going to be important. So that that's kind of the, the backstory to that. Back to your story as an older person deciding at 60 that it was time, that clear voice. And I just love moments of clarity, right? I get them too. And I just get up and I'm on my way. And that happened for me in 2000, around 2009, 2010, where I'm like, it's time. It's just absolutely time to do this search, you know? And I had no clue that the laws were changing in Illinois. I I found that really interesting that the time was right. That inner voice, that clarity I had coincided with the possibility of me requesting my original birth certificate because that was really important in my mm-hmm. search because I had no idea of my birth mother's name and that document contained it, you know? So that was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder in your story, did you ever have like glimpses of clarity prior to 60? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I suppose I did start to question the storyline uh, of my adoptive parents and did begin to wonder if my mother perhaps had lived after all. It wasn't something I wanted to dwell on hugely, but there was something eating away in my subconscious, I think, saying maybe this wasn't true, even though I didn't want to address it absolutely up front in front of the mirror. And I think it was going on there. And I remember once leafing through a copy of the National Geographical magazine, my parents used to take this, and seeing a picture of this woman. And I thought, oh, I wonder if she's my mother. I could look a bit like that, you know? Uh, So there was this great need, you know, to see someone I might have looked like, because it's the same with all adoptees. You can't, don't think you look like anyone in your family. And I had bright red hair as a child, and my parents were dark, you know, all this stuff. And I guess... I don't know. I bet something was going on there, you know. I don't know whether I would call it clarity, but uh, certainly deep down I was starting to question, but I couldn't articulate that. I mean, all that was happening was a series of slightly unnerving situations as a child, which I write about in my memoir. One was the headmaster of my primary school, junior school, asking my parents in front of me where I got my red hair from and my parents looking very shifty on the pavement and um, you know not obviously wanting to answer you know thinking gosh they're covering up and this is shameful 
there's something bad about this. There's something about adoption that you need to cover up. So I never spoke about it very much. I did to some people, but it was something, especially when I got older, that I felt I couldn't do. That, I suppose, was a form of clarity in the sense that I was beginning to pick up a storyline that might be a bit heavier than maybe I'd considered that it was. Like once upon a time, there was this lady who had a baby and she died. You know, <laughs> there, there was a little bit more to this. Right. And then there's a story of, I used to like painting and drawing. And the art teacher set us the topic of painting, drawing and painting a picture of our mothers. So I drew and painted a picture of my mother. And of course, my mother didn't look at all like me. She marched one day into our classroom with this picture and went up to the class teacher and said, oh, this is Julie's um, picture. It's, it's really rather nice, you know, what do you think of it? But do you think this is her mother? And the class teacher was saying, well, well, I don't know. I, I've never seen her mother, which is these days would be absolutely ridiculous in school. But in those days, they didn't have parent meetings and things like that. I thought, goodness, she doesn't believe me. She doesn't believe that I've drawn a picture of my mother. And again, that's that was a little glimpse of clarity that I've been able to view by going back to my story as an older person. Other clarity, again, was not so much around what I thought my circumstances could have been, but more about the thing that adoption was considered to be a bit shameful and peculiar and maybe even a bit dirty, mm. was as a young adult, I was applying for a job and there were a number of people sitting in this room and we'd had to hand in various pieces of uh, official paper included in these were our birth certificates. Well, of course, I had absolutely no idea that my birth certificate looked totally different to anybody else's. Mm. I mean... I don't know what they're like in, in the States, but in um, our country, it's just a tiny little piece of paper with very sketchy information on it. They called me up and said, uh, can you explain your birth certificate? Mm. And I was horrified. And I remember standing there. So I was a sort of convicted criminal right. saying, well, I was adopted. And they looked at me and they said, oh, and... I really wondered what earth was going through their minds. Right. Were they thinking, oh, how embarrassing, perhaps we shouldn't have questioned her. Or, oh, gosh, we've never come across a situation like this before. Or that this was something dirty, you know. Right. So I guess that's the clarity, if you could call it clarity, that I experienced before the real clarity I got after I looked into my past. Mm. Yes. So when did you realize your talent as a writer and that you would actually complete a memoir, a beautiful memoir? As a child, I used to love writing. I used to fill little books. I used to make my own little books, cut up little bits of paper and staple them all together and do um, a, a title page with a picture on the front and write in handwriting inside and then my friends used to gather round in the playground at break times and I used to read them my stories I used to <laughs> love doing them. and uh, you know we'd have a different installment every day so I guess I don't know that I would have called it talent in those days because you know it's just something I enjoyed doing and then 
one of my class teachers set up this uh, weekly event where we all had to sit down and write a story. And the best one was chosen to be put in this little book that hung on a wall in the classroom. Every week, my story used to get chosen and hung in the book on the wall in the classroom. Wow. But one day, a a boy at the desk next to me put his hand up and said to the teacher, why is Julie's, why are Julie's stories always chosen and put, put in this book? She said, well, because Julie has got imagination. And I thought, oh, what's imagination? Wow, I've got imagination. Well, I thought everyone had imagination. <laughs> and I felt so sorry for this boy, you know. Yeah, of I course. Thought, oh, I always wanted to say, put his story in the book instead of mine. Right, know? right. Because basically she was saying he didn't have imagination. It just it seems, exactly. seems awful for a teacher to say. Yeah. Yes. I think your writing is just is so, so good because, you know, we talk a lot. We've talked a lot um, yes. about writing and yes. your ability to string words together is like, I'm just left like, wow, that was good. <laughs> like, that was oh. good. And when we talked last week, I just got so encouraged and inspired because you, you have such great ideas. Why don't we talk a little bit about what you're looking forward to doing next. (laughs) Do you mean with my writing or just generally? With your writing. With my writing. I'm at the moment doing fantasy. I've never written fantasy before, although I'm always interested in spiritual things and esoteric things. So I'm just having a go at that. And it's, it's quite interesting, actually, because... I tend to find whenever I do writing that I seem to have a common theme going through it. It could be something to do with adoption. Very often I end up with somebody who is adopted. And it's interesting, I started writing my current stories, which are going to be written in a a pen name. I stopped and, and looked at what was evolving. And I suddenly thought, you know, sort of questions you have to ask yourself ultimately if you're being serious as a writer, you know, what's the thesis? What, what is the machinery that makes my writing work? What's the theme? Because if you have a theme running through, it doesn't have to be obvious. But if you don't have a theme running through, the story doesn't really work. And I began to look at all the characters and thinking, you know, they, these characters have one thing in common. And it's loneliness. And I think that was something, going back to adoption again, that I, with hindsight, experienced a lot as a child, being an only child. And although I had friends, you know, I used to disappear down our back garden and make up stories, characters in my head. And it's almost like I had, I was in this little lonely world. And I found it very interesting that my characters do the same. And Going back to the memoir, uh, I know you asked me to think forward, but... Well, that's fine. I was yeah. <laughs> I'm first going to write it as a novel. Mm. I had created the story of the adoptee and the birth mother. I'd got about three quarters of the way through the story, and I suddenly realised, actually, that I wasn't really writing my own story at all. And, you know, how on earth could I possibly get in the shoes of a birth mother? Because I'm not in her shoes, mm-hmm. you know? Right. 
And so I stopped it. I dumped it. But I do think the experience of having written it as a novel really helped me then to, to write the memoirs. So, yeah, again, I think the story, the, the theme going through that is one of almost a lonely path, mm, you know, yeah. a lonely path to find the truth. Uh, so going forward with my stories, I guess my experience is going to spill out in in whatever I write. But yes, fantasy really, really interests me. I'm also interested in the world of personal development and I'm hoping to produce a book about self-accountability, which mm. is something I do. I like to, I do this with a friend actually, once a month we get together on, on Facebook and we, on Facebook Messenger, and we talk about what we've achieved in the month that we set out to do mm-hmm. and then evaluate it in the light of all that. So I'm also quite keen to do something like that as well. Oh, I'm excited about that. Oh, I really, <laughs> I like that. And I'm glad you shared about what you started out doing. It ended up not being a novel. That's interesting. That's really good that you shared that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so how would you say you have best navigated your journey as an adoptee? Keeping my head down. <laughs> 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 and I don't know, sort of just getting on with life, even though there's a compartment in the back of it that said one day you are going to find out, you know, your background. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I was holding on to this one day I'm going to do this. So the opposite of once upon a time, one day in the future, I'm going to do this. So I guess that's part of the navigation process. There was anger. My adoptive mother was never really honest with me. She used to sometimes allude to my adoption like, oh, you're lucky you won't have um, inherited that particular illness or, you know, you haven't inherited this trait in the family or whatever. I always felt very uncomfortable about it or used to mutter back, well, I don't know what I have inherited, do I? You know, there was never any answer. So there was a bit of anger and maybe anger hitting out at things that I at the time didn't see as anything to do with adoption. But would have been connected to a very angry child, which I discovered when I wrote my memoir. I unearthed a very, very angry child. Mm. And that angry child became angrier as an adult, reliving. I had to go through all that process to to get rid of that anger. And then I, I don't know if you're also referring to how I navigated my way through once I started my search, or was that prior to the search? Well, you know... When I think of this question, because I ask usually ask this question to every guest, I'm thinking more of what was in your toolbox. Like for me, writing was definitely how I navigated being adopted because I, I had these feelings. It might be anger. It may be curiosity, you know, because I just wanted to know my original mother. I just wanted to know who she was. I felt I deserved to know that. It was she wasn't going to replace my adoptive mom. I had a good childhood. I, I was it was two separate things. I was created by someone else, right? And I just remember 
writing and music, like it feels like it saved me. And I know you're a music teacher. And so, yeah, like music was a big, big part of navigating my way Mm -hmm. through being an adopted person, because let's face Mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's different than not being adopted. It just is, you know, on so many levels. So We've had to figure out, I know one guest said music did save him. He's a classically trained pianist. He's very mm-hmm. good. In fact, he does the music for the podcast. He did it for my audio drama. Corey Quinn is his name. He's a transracial adoptee. And I just love him to pieces. And um, when he said that to me, that music saved his life because he started playing, I think, at five. And I was like, what all saved my life? Just what my mm-hmm. tools were. So that's kind of where that question. Ah, uh, yes. Well, thank of, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's helped me a lot. Thank you. Uh, absolutely, I would agree. And in fact, in my story, there is a chapter devoted to uh, a piece of piano music, which is a Venetia, Venetian gondola song by Felix Mendelssohn, which I was learning at the time that I began to unearth the not so happy fairy story. This piece of music became very, very important to me. It saved my life. Yes, so going back from there, definitely music was a a major thing in my life. Even though I might not have realized it at the time, you know, it was very, very important to me. So was writing, expressing myself, Mm -hmm. essentially. So yes, and then of course I became a music teacher communicating to others and helping others through the vehicle of music has been very, very important to me indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to when you had that clarity to search. Was that a thick file? Uh, It was. Mm -hmm. It was scarily thick. So let's start from there. You, You get the information that you need and and what happens next from the from those papers? Gosh, well, <laughs> you're, you're in reunion, to... right? You're in reunion. Yes, that's right. The file was released, but I was already conscious of who I was because you know I was appropriated an adoption counselor, and so I had seen my birth certificate by this time, and I went online. I joined the ancestry site. I started looking back you know, at my ancestors, I discovered a whole lot of them came from Germany. Obviously, I discovered who my mother was. I discovered a sister, you know, all that stuff was coming up. So on the one hand, that was going on. But I still didn't know the ins and outs, the sort of gory details, if you like, of my actual adoption. I guess the day that I took that file home with me from the adoption centre where I was attending and opened it was when the next part of my life began. I mean, I talk in my story a lot about life part one, which was up to the moment when I discovered my identity. The book's all about identity, what I was called as a a child of my birth mother. Mm -hmm. This life part two took on. It was an incredible journey. It was like there were two things going on at once. One of them was trying to track down my birth mother, who I discovered 
to my great shock, was still alive. And actually, I do have to say she is still alive. Wow. That's... At 97 years of age. Wow. I know. But at the same time was this access to my file. On both sides, I hope I'm not going off at a tangent here and forgetting the plot. On the one side, I was being blocked by authorities for possibly trying to find my mother in case it upset her. On the other, I was being blocked from my, I felt my right, and I'm sure all adoptees feel the same, their right to see their background, their circumstances. And right. I was experiencing this big clash of identities. If I may, I'd, I'd like to just read a little extract from my book. Oh, yeah, Which absolutely. describes that feeling. Absolutely. Is that all right? Absolutely, Julie. Okay. Well, it comes from a chapter which is um, entitled Legal Jargon, which I think sums up what was going on in, in both these parallel situations. Mm -hmm. And it was really to do with being blocked. This was to do with actually possibly being blocked in meeting my mother. And it starts like this. An untimely reminder was issued. Let it not be forgotten that the parties were back then assured that circumstances leading to the relinquishment of a baby in a court of law were kept private forever. The past locked away, those involved had been free to invent the present and the future. How I knew it, how deeply drilled such knowledge was into my consciousness. How thoroughly did I understand that their beliefs and subsequent whitewashing of the truth, embedded in society and in the legal system representing it, fell short of humanity. Collectively, they failed to understand that the Julie Weatherbys of this world needed to meet the Rose Kellers. They failed to appreciate the moral right to do so, the necessity to fit together the missing puzzle pieces belonging to each of these identities. And they failed to realize how each needed to brood and grieve for the other, for what might have been, for what had been. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, for reading that. I Thank love you. the title of your book. I, I know I've Thank told you. you that before. Identity, uh -huh. identity Reclaimed. Because I, I just remember thinking a part of my identity is being an adopted person, right? Mm -hmm. And your title just speaks to me. As adoptees, we have that in us to want to reclaim What's lost? What's what's been lost? The information, the knowledge. The, I mean, that's what adoptees want. They want the truth. That's yeah. that's that's it. And um, yeah, I love your I love your title. So you're in reunion with both sides, your paternal um, side. No, only the maternal side. Okay. Uh, the paternal side was a complete dead end. I I found out who my father was. And I, I discovered that he died many years ago. So it was maternal only. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, I... that was a great sadness that I never could actually set eyes on my father. I, I really felt there's an incomplete part there. But, you know, I have to accept that's just the way it is. And Yeah, you know. it is heartbreaking. 
I too, you know, found graves on both sides. So that's just like you say, that's just a level of acceptance that I've had, you know, to make. And some days it mm-hmm. still makes me sad, you know, but that's mm-hmm. what it is, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So are you in relationship with your birth mom? I am, yes. Mm-hmm. And quite a good one in a way. She was a, a quite a difficult, I mean, this comes up in my story, but, you know, she's been quite a difficult personality to deal with. We had some bad moments. And although she seemed very willing to want to engage with me, again, it was more lies and lack of openness with the authority as that were looking after me, linking up with her, you know, not coming totally clean, that she still wanted to keep me dark from certain sections of her life. However, over the years, because I've been doing this now with her for, you know, over 10 years, I've learned to accept we have a pretty good relationship now. It's it's not the same as the one I had, of course, with my adopted mother, who I utterly adored. I, you know, I would like to really sing the praises of my adoptive mother. Some people hate the idea of, you know, the, the clash between the adoptive parent and the biological parent and all the rest of it. But my adoptive mum was my mum and I loved her. I still love her yes. to bits and pieces. She, she's dead. And this mother, this birth mother, was not like my mother. But, you know, she's a different personality, but I have gained many things from her, many insights from her that I would not have gained had I never connected with her. Right. And on a a deep down spiritual level, I do feel extremely connected with her, which is also something I write about. Yes. I think that's what happens in reunion. We get some questions answered and and some understanding more about Mm -hmm. ourselves. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's really about learning more about ourselves. It is. And what I set out, I mean, I start my book with a question, which is, who am I? I know. And the last sentence in my book is I am me and I am free and what I gained from writing the story was that you know we can have labels attached to us people can give us names at various different stages in our lives we can have different titles if you like bestowed upon us but what I discovered at the end is the the I was that person right away from me in fact this morning I went online to do um, a meditation with the Fintorn Foundation in the north of Scotland, which is a, a spiritual community up there. And the very thing that came up was the question of who am I? And that it was really the moving away from the personality and finding the heart and the soul of the person, a, a remembrance of who we are really separated from all this other stuff, society, convention, all those things. I think that's the thing that I got the most out of my journey was I had to be very strong. I spoke of loneliness earlier, but in fact, rather than have a loneliness, it was more like I am a contained person. I have all I need inside of me. That is my identity, my music, my my love, Um, that 
I'm not going to get from Rose Keller or simply being Julie Weatherby. Right. Wow, that's a beautiful answer. Thank you for sharing that uh, meditation from today. Yeah, that's quite fitting, isn't it? Yeah, it was. I, I couldn't help reflecting on that, knowing that I was going to do this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. In closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? Not that I can think of immediately, no. Except just to say that I talked about life part one, which was before I discovered my papers. There was life part two, which was a navigation through from there on, and then into a life part three, which is where am I now? Right. Yeah, the journey does continue. And yes. I think life is, is a great big adventure. We have our peaks and valleys, the ebb and flow. I do want to ask you, what do you think has been the most rewarding thing about being connected to the adoption community? Well, for me, it's all about the fact that although our stories are different, we do all have that one thing in common, which is a separation. Yes. I guess a certain amount of lying, although I'm aware now in, in more modern times, there is far more transparency. But I guess because I spent so much of my life thinking I've got to do this adoption thing on my own, and deal with this adoption thing on my own. Suddenly, I'm not anymore, but there are other people also dealing with this adoption thing too. Yes. And that we've all maybe felt similar feelings. I would hate to try to take on board what somebody else is feeling about anything in particular, but I, I just feel that we've all got some common ground there. Yes, I agree. And we don't feel as adoptees alone. Yeah, like, no. like we're, we're not alone by far because <laughs> it's a lot of adopted people uh, in the world. So I'm just thrilled that we were able to do this. You're all the way in Scotland and I, <laughs> I love your accent. I just love your accent. So I just oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I thank you again for taking the time, the precious gift of time to do this and have a conversation with me and and the listener. I appreciate it so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. I I appreciate it too. Julie's mention of waiting until the age of 60 to search for her birth mother reminds me of how as adoptees, timing is a very personal decision and there is nothing right or wrong about waiting for that strong inner voice that says it's time. She has been writing and using her imagination since being a little person. And when reading her memoir, I felt her strong ability as a storyteller to be able to beautifully string her words together for the reader. It was nice to hear that though our relationship with her birth mother continues to be somewhat complicated, they both manage it. Thank you, Julie, for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I asked you and you said yes without hesitation. I appreciate that. We have had some of the most interesting and enjoyable exchanges about storytelling. And as a result, I learned so much from you. I look forward to reading more of your writing and you reading mine. 
If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. Thank you so much for being here, and be sure and follow me on Instagram at Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land.